Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, good morning. It is Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you for the next hour and 50 minutes. Glad to have you on this beautiful but warm Sunday morning. And I just want to give a congratulations to all of those crossing the finish line right now at the Buffalo Marathon. Hopefully next year I will uh, get myself back into running shape and maybe I will attempt the Buffalo Marathon. Um, but to all those that set a goal and were able to go and run that marathon today, congratulations. Enjoy it. Celebrate it. Uh, everyone is happy and uh, proud of you. Now, before we get to our next guest, you know me. I like to admit when I've done something wrong. And uh, we'll talk about this more tomorrow when I fill in for Tom Bowerly. Um, but the streak is over, guys. The streak is over. I got caught speeding on the way to work this morning. Yes, I uh, had a good run. It's funny, the last time I got pulled over speeding was on my way here as well. So, <laughs> and it was one of those things, so I, I had left a little early. So I wanted to take the long way to work, right? I had my monster energy with me. So I wanted to take the long way to work and um, probably should have just taken the throughway, but instead uh, didn't. And uh, was driving, you know, the, the, the longer way to here at Odyssey Buffalo and got pulled over. So hopefully this will start another multiple year streak of not getting pulled over. But I wanted to admit that to you, the uh, WBEN audience. And like I said, it might bring up a topic tomorrow as I uh, fill in for Tom Bowerly all this week here on WBEN. But we've got one heck of a show for you today, starting with Professor Jacob Nyheisel from the University of Buffalo. Professor, good morning. Morning, Joe. Good to be back on Hardline, and I'm sorry to hear about your speeding ticket. Well, that's okay. You know, I was just, I was excited to get here. What can I say? Um, I... <laughs> Professor... We had uh, another another Tuesday primary, and I, I talked about this um, on on the during the week uh, about people. You know, people are going to complain about the primaries, uh, but they don't go to the polls. And uh, as I said, looking at the the ratings of this station and how many people turned out to vote in the primaries, um, a lot of people listening to my voice didn't turn out in the primaries. So when you look at this, when you look at, at primaries. Over the last, let's say, decade, um, is is what happened in Buffalo kind of what you see in primaries, where that enthused base 
is the the enthused voter is usually the voter that wants change, and that's who shows up to primaries, and that's why we see India Walton as the winner in the Democrat primary? I think that that's generally a lesson you can take away from, from primaries writ large. Um, you know, the primary electorate isn't the general electorate. It tends to be people who are more ideological. It tends to be people who are more motivated to get out there. Um, and, you know, strange things can, can happen as a result of that. Um, you know, when politicians think about their constituency, they're thinking really at multiple levels. They think about their inner core, their donor base. They think about the primary constituency. They think about the people who turn out the general elections. And then finally, they think about the, the district as a whole and so or their jurisdiction as a whole, if you were. And so, yeah, they, they tend to be a very different group of people. And, you know, this is one of the things that can happen when you, when you see that kind of group turnout in numbers. Someone, someone like you who, you know, knows the stuff better than anyone, were you surprised at what happened on Tuesday in the city of Buffalo? I, I was surprised. I will admit to, to not paying a great deal of attention. Um, you know, there are multiple reasons for that, uh, some a little bit closer to home. But also, you know, I, I take my cues from the kinds of things I'm seeing the candidates doing. You know, I've, I've sort of been, you know, I don't have access to their internal polling. And so if I see a candidate who outwardly looks very comfortable, I think that their internals are showing them that they have reason to be very comfortable. And it wasn't really until the weekend that there was, you know, right before the primary, any indication that the mayor might have been in some kind of trouble. And, and so I, I think that that, you know, really caught a lot of people off guard then. So I'd really like to have been a fly on the wall in those meetings, you know, T-minus three days before the, the primary to see what they were showing and what kinds of things they were reacting to. Now, looking at the sheriff primaries, and this is this is something I brought up with Jeremy Zellner a few weeks ago. It's this idea of the endorsed candidate. And I want your perspective on this. Voters went and in both parties voted quite heavily against the endorsed candidate of their party. Is this a show of both Democrats and Republicans not happy with the at least the local leaders of their uh, respective parties? Yeah, I think that that might be something that we're seeing, and it's more than just a, a local issue. So I, I'm going to steal this line from a friend of mine, another academic, so I can't take credit for it. But she's been saying for a while that we're going through a period of very strong partisanship but very weak parties. And I think that this is just one sign of that, that the, the party cue, you know, who the party wants, uh, really doesn't seem to have that much bearing. Of course, you can look to – very high-profile examples where that's not correct. I think that you know Joe Biden was the probably the the party favorite uh, to to get the nomination on the the presidential race. But I, I think more generally we're seeing a move toward really really strong amount of partisanship where people are increasingly voting the party line, but not necessarily looking to what party leaders are telling them to do. It- when you look at uh, – I want to go back to India Walton for just one one moment. This move of democrat socialism, um, you know, and she's very open about it. She's got the support of other people who define themselves. You know, this is the first time I can remember the, um, the far end of the parties, you know, either left or right, the far ends of the parties getting – what, what now looks to be a mainstream vote um, and kind of taking over those parties. Has there ever been a time where the far end of a party started becoming the face of the party? Um, yeah, I think we've seen glimpses of this. You know, I, I focus more on national politics. So if I 
if you tell me you know so that you're interested in party takeover, I'm gonna immediately go to to 64 on the Republican side. And, you know, Barry Goldwater was you know pretty far to the right ideologically uh, at the time for for Republicans, and that was really kind of a win for the the nascent conservative movement. You know, the the you know even Buckley was a little bit skeptical of them, but there were people in the the conservative movement at the time who really pushed for Goldwater. And then saw the rest of the party not really wanting to go in that direction, at least not for a while. So it does happen. You see these these periods, these flare-ups where you have the the far left or the far right push the nominated candidate and are successful. And they're successful for a multitude of reasons. Um, I think that they, in this case in particular, worked very hard. They had some support at the grassroots. Um, and I also think that the conditions were ripe for that. You have a incumbent who may be wearing a little bit stale, and you have a very, very low salience race. You have an incumbent that is perhaps too comfortable, more comfortable than he should have been. And all of those things came together to, to make the conditions ripe for you know, what you might think of as a party takeover, I guess. And looking now at success, I, I got to ask you, what is this the success or the likelihood of success when it comes to write-in voting? Now, I know we had a situation like this in Alaska that was successful on the national level, uh, but when we talk about a write-in campaign, we're not usually talking about something that gets a lot of success, right? No, no. <laughs> on, on average, they're not very successful. You know, I can think of uh, – three instances going back maybe 80 years uh, at the national level. Now, I'm sure there have been many, many more at the local level that I'm just not acutely aware of. But, uh, yeah, they tend not to be terribly successful unless you have a lot of resources in your corner, you have a lot of name recognition to begin with, and you have people who are willing to uh, put time, money, and resources into that writing campaign. They tend to be very expensive for, for obvious reasons. Um, because your name is not actually on the ballot. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, the conditions here are ripe for a writing campaign that could potentially be successful or more successful than most. But, yeah, on average, it's, it's an uphill battle. Would the um, – if that happened and, say, Byron Brown gets announced that his writing campaign won, that he, he beat India Walton, would that kind of campaign be – would that be open to going to courts and having each ballot looked at closer because it is a writing campaign? Would we be probably getting that kind of challenge uh, if it did turn out that uh, he, that Byron Brown won a writing campaign? Right. I don't know the the specifics of, of New York election law surrounding you know how close of a match it has to be in terms of a write-in. You know, I, I've I've heard you know several statements from from you know people from the board of elections saying you know it doesn't have to be spelled exactly correctly, but you know if it's completely illegible and you're counting on an election administrator to to make a judgment call on that, uh, yeah, it is something that is ripe for for litigation, and you know I think it's something that people are going to want to take a closer look at. And what were the decision rules going into you know whether a ballot was counted as valid versus not? Um, so yeah, th- there is. Uh, it, it's a situation that, is, that has some risk involved, given that it is going to be open to, to some measure of interpretation at some level. Now, we got to take a look at the national level, and we got to take a look at 2024. I, I know we have the, uh, the, the midway elections still, uh, ne- the midterm elections next year, but we are starting to see straw polls, and we saw one last weekend where Ron DeSantis 
got more votes than Donald Trump. And I'm going to go back to something you said of Mayor Byron Brown, how, you know, after so long, uh, people want a different face. People want someone different. Are we starting to see, at least on some level, the Republican Party want to, or members of the party, want to start moving on from Trump, possibly in the direction of Ron DeSantis? Yeah, I think there's been an element of the party that's wanted to, to move on for a while, but they, they don't quite know what to do with those diehard Trump supporters. Um, you know, So they, they need that base. They need the very motivated group that Trump was able to capture. Um, but I think ideally, if they could draw up a candidate from whole cloth, um, it would be someone without the baggage of Donald Trump. And so they, they want that base. They want the, the, the fervor that some of those folks were able to inject into the contest, but they really, really don't want the high negatives that Trump has. And I think that someone like a DeSantis or maybe Tom Cotton um, provides them with that. So take a little look at these straw polls, but maybe don't put too much weight into them this far out. Oh, no, I never put much weight into straw polls this far out from the contest. I mean, there's there's a peculiar relationship between time to contest and how accurate these things are. Um, and, you know, it's a bit cheating, but, you know, the polls are really, really close to the contest. They tend to be more accurate. So they're a snapshot. They're, uh, you know, just a, a shot in, of what the public is thinking right now. Um, things can change and a lot of politics can happen between now and then. Now, this may just be my bias, and I, you know, I like to admit that, especially on this show. Uh, but I have to ask you, looking back uh, in, in you know, all the past presidencies, have we ever had a sitting president, A, primaried, and B, primaried successfully for, in his own party? So they have been primaried. Um, I'm blanking on the, the degree of success um, of that. But, yeah, there, there are, have been – a couple high-profile examples where a sitting president did have to, to, to see a primary challenger. Um, again, success rate is not very high, um, if, if at all. Um, but, yes, it, it, it is not unheard of. All right. Well, Professor Jacob Nyheisel, it's always great to have you on Hardline, and hopefully we'll talk a little more this summer. Uh, I do want to ask you, because, uh, you know, I've been asking you this every time we have you on, uh, September, back in the classroom, on campus at UB? Absolutely. Back in the classroom. Uh, fully uh, there as far as I can determine. So, yes, my intro class and my media class are, are both meeting in person. And uh, with the media class, I, I might be hitting you up for a guest lecture. Oh, hey. <laughs> well, then, and, and also, hey, you know, if, if the Bills need to leave for a season, you know, make sure the people at UB offer up UB Stadium. Yeah, I have absolutely no say in that whatsoever, but that'd be, that'd be kind of nice. <laughs> well, Professor, always great to talk to you, and like I said, hopefully we'll be talking again this summer. Sounds great. All right, that is Professor Jacob Nyheisel, UB Professor of Political Science. Always great to talk to him, and I guarantee you now that we are getting to midterms. We are going to have, believe me, this is not the last show we're going to be talking about a potential write-in campaign unless the mayor tomorrow comes out and says, I'm not running a write-in campaign. So as we get closer, you're going to get more analysis on this. We'll get a little more in-depth, the likelihood, the success rate, where the money's coming from. That is something we will definitely be breaking down on Hardline. I do want to throw out that the three uh, winners in the the um, primaries, the bigger primaries on Tuesday, uh, India Walton, John Garcia, and Kimberly Beatty, 
all three were invited to Hardline, and they will be on a later show. But, you know, they've had a pretty busy week, a uh, victorious week. They've done a lot of media, and um, I can understand them wanting to take the weekend off, kind of celebrate with their families and their friends, and totally understand. But we will be having the three winners from Tuesday on a later uh, episode of Hardline. And I do want to throw this out before we go to break. It's summer. It's beautiful. So everyone that's come on the show, everyone that's, you know, all my guests, I am so thankful that you take time out of your day. I know it's Sunday morning. It's beautiful outside. You probably want to be outside with a cup of coffee, taking in this beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, So I'm always, always appreciative of those that join me here on Hardline, including our next guest, Congressman Chris Jacobs. He is joining me next. We'll talk about what he thinks the status of the primaries here in Western New York. Buffalo, obviously not in his district, um, but we will talk to him about that, about the infrastructure deal, and I'm using quotation marks, uh, that we heard about during the week, voting, uh, the voting rights, voting policy uh, talk that's going on, voter reform that's going on in Congress. We'll talk about that as well. Then Dave Leventhal is joining us at 11, and we will touch on those things as well as the federal government suing the state of Georgia? We'll be talking about all that and more. We have a packed show for you. We're back after this. It's Hardline. Welcome. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame... You deserve this ice-cold reward. Medellin, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you for less than 90 minutes. And then Meet the Press takes over at noon. Our next guest is Congressman Chris Jacobs. Congressman, good morning. Good morning. Uh, before we get into the uh, list of things I want to ask you about, I just want to know your thoughts. Now, I know it's not immediately in your district, but your thoughts on the primary that happened in the city of Buffalo Tuesday. Well, I'm very concerned about it. Uh, You know, we've been talking nationally about concerns about socialism, and people need to know uh, that this is real. The threat uh, uh, to us is real, and it's happening now right in in our area in in Buffalo, uh, the biggest municipality uh, in the area. And uh, uh, they intend to, uh, reading 
the article today, the, the mayor-elect not only wants to you know, do it through her uh, mayoral seat, but she is basically uh, threatening to come after anybody who does not agree with her and elect only those that abide by the way she thinks uh, a socialist uh, vision for the future of the region, uh, a, a defund police vision. Uh, you know, I've been very involved in school choice and charter schools, uh, depriving uh, the inner city families of that option that uh, w- was for many the only option of a quality school. So this is really serious, and um, I, I'm very concerned as anyone if you live in the city or don't live in the city, or what this means for the future. Uh, and um, I certainly hope that uh, Mayor Brown um, consider uh, considers a write-in. Um, I, I think we, we can't accept. I've heard some people say, well, it's only four years. And um, we know the damage that can be done. And, and also, uh, for the sake that, uh, you know, down, Buffalo has gotten moment, has momentum that we haven't seen in our lifetime, my lifetime. Uh, development and revitalization. We don't want to stunt that growth um, that we've just begun now, uh, and uh, this will this will have a chilling effect on that. So I, I I'm very very concerned. Last time we uh, spoke with you, we talked about your visit to the uh, southern border, and it seems that the vice president finally got the memo and went down there on Friday. Uh, what do you think about her hesitancy, A, and then what did you, did you think about her visit when she finally w- did go to the southern border? Well, I'm certainly glad that she went. Uh, I, I think that uh, you know, she almost waited 100 days from her appointment of being the so-called border czar. Um, and really didn't acknowledge the severity of the problem and still, I, I don't think, has. Uh, she also, her visit was very, very brief, and it was was not where the uh, main area of problem is in, in, in the area where, where the major crossings are. So it seemed like she did the bare minimum that she was forced to do, and I really do think a lot of her uh, finally deciding to do it is because President Trump has messaged that he's going down this week. I'm actually honored to say that I, I'm going to be down there with the president, uh, and we're going down to McAllen, Texas, where, where which is kind of ground one of the areas ground zero uh, for illegal border entries right now. And I think it'll be, for me, an honor to be with the president. But also, um, I went down to that very area when I was when I was running for Congress, and uh, it was very uh, buttoned down, under control. The president of Trump and the policies he had made was really bringing calm and, and control to the area. Uh, I, from what I've heard from my colleagues who are down there, it's the exact opposite, and it's directly related to the Biden Harris policies. Uh, the you know removing the Remain in Mexico policy uh, and, and many of the other things they have done, stopping the wall. And just setting the general message that, uh, that boy, um, you know, it's open season. So um, I jokingly said we should instead make uh, Trudeau the head of uh, running the border down south. He, he has a great, seems to have a great job shutting everything down. And we could put Harris up at the northern part and we could, you know, get some openings out because she seems great at keeping everything open. Well, Congressman, we might have to talk to you. We might have to ask you to come on next week and tell us about that visit uh, with President Trump uh, at the southern border. Speaking of the Canadian border, we did see a protest at the Rainbow Bridge. We saw Trudeau and President Biden speaking at the summit. Uh, We know they've been in communication. A, what do you think of the border 
being uh, closed still and now potentially till the end of July. And where do you think or where has the um, U.S. government stepped in? Uh, it's unacceptable. Uh, you know, people are saying, well, we'll, we'll hopefully they do something on January 21st, uh, July 21st, rather. Uh, unacceptable. And we needed to convey that message that this has gone on far too long. Uh, these people who always said follow the science are now not following any science. They're just spewing off things like saying, you know, you still need to get a test even when you're fully vaccinated or you still need a quarantine even when you're fully vaccinated. There's no science based on that. So uh, this is devastating, uh, certainly first and foremost for families uh, and uh, who are, are struggling. Uh, we have that in our family. My, my wife's mother lives up in Canada. We have not, you know, she's been not been able to see her granddaughter for 16 months. Uh, but also uh, property owners who have significant investments over there, that this is the second summer now that they've not been able to even go and check on the condition of their properties. I had a roundtable Zoom uh, call the other day with the tourism sector on both sides of the border. They're devastated. And, I mean, even if they now open in July, people's plans have already been made. You know, they've, they've scheduled vacations elsewhere. So I wouldn't say the entire summer's lost, but – a good amount of the revenue is. I had a, a discussion yes, last week with the mayor of Niagara Falls, Ontario. He's beside himself. I mean, 50% of his tourism revenue is American revenue, U.S. dollars. Um, this is just devastating. And uh, it just seems uh, like uh, the Trudeau administration has had a tenure or two, uh, the, the, the impact they're having. And uh, then I would say, uh, you know, I don't know what happened out of the discussion of the Biden and Trudeau meeting, but it seemed like a whole lot of nothing. I think that the Biden administration needs to assert some darn leadership here and use lever points that they obviously have to compel the administration in Canada to, to reconsider this and have a rational policy. I'm not saying open it up completely and ignore uh, that there's a COVID, uh, that we're in the COVID, but not this complete lockdown, which is just unacceptable. Speaking with Congressman Chris Jacobs, Congressman, uh, speaking of President Biden, uh, this week he announced a bipartisan infrastructure deal. Um, What are the specifics on that? And is that bill now going to Senate? Uh, My understanding, yes. It's, you know, I I remain, I'm cautiously optimistic. It's from what I've seen, it's, a real infrastructure bill. It's it, it's roads and bridges and uh, waters and water and sewer. Um, one thing that's very important for my district is uh, is rural broadband, uh, high speed internet, which is lacking in so many areas of the 27th congressional district. So that's good. It's uh, it is a, a real infrastructure bill. Uh, I am uh, concerned though that yes, I think it is going to the Senate. I'm very concerned, though, what I'm hearing from Nancy Pelosi, who's saying she will not pass this infrastructure bill if there are other uh, piece of legislation, which will be a purely Democratic piece of legislation in the tune of $4 trillion of uh, major expansion of the welfare state and uh, major expansion of government, putting all this on a credit card of, of our future generations. She, this bill that she wants to do, uh, she's now saying she will only pass uh, the infrastructure bill if her uh, progressive bill is passed as well. So really holding it hostage. And um, that that's 
really disturbing, and that that you would you would halt progress and uh, things that you know really are life and safety uh, for our area, uh, economic development, uh, because you you want to make sure uh, that uh, your progressive wish list of trillions gets passed, and if not, you'll you'll kill the whole thing. So that's very disturbing, and uh, uh, the President Biden initially said he was in agreement with what Nancy Pelosi said. Then he backtracked. That, that concerns me that um, he, he may be a little bit in line with Pelosi, but now realize it was uh, it was offended so many people that he, he kind of changed his tune a little bit. So we, we need to uh, see what the specifics are. And then we also have to really be a loud, unified voice to say this is unacceptable. A uh, piece of the legislation should pass on their own merits. You should not have to tie one to the other and hold one hostage. Uh, so that's that's uh, something that I know the Republican conference leadership will be very vocal about, as I will as well. So there is a deal, but right now it's in the hands of the speaker, correct? Correct. All right. Sp- speaking of that, that bill that you said Nancy Pelosi also once passed, is that the one that's tied in with voting reform as well? Uh, not, not that I'm aware of. The voting reform bill is an, another one uh, that is uh, trying to work through um, the the um, the Congress. Uh, the, the one upside of the voting bill, and they have this this kind of gimmick, if you will, called reconciliation, where certain things can go through the Senate with only uh, a 50, uh, you know, with a just a, a majority of. Uh, and not a 60-member uh, majority, which is really usually the case in the Senate. Um, that's this $4 trillion package of uh, major expansion of the welfare state uh, that the progressives are pushing. Uh, the voting rights bill would need 60 votes. And so that is why you know Joe Manchin from West Virginia is always discussed as the key to that. Um, and uh, so at this point in time, that piece of legislation is not moving. Uh, and, you know, what that is is really the founders, when they created this wonderful, incredible nation, said the states are where the voting rules are designed. And what this is is an attempt to subvert that and say this Washington, D.C. will run all elections in our country. Uh, and uh, and remove the ability of states to do what they think is best to for access and uh, voter integrity uh, and vote integrity. Uh, they want to usurp that and have it all run out of Washington D.C. Uh, the good news is the majority of people in in both the Senate, uh, at, at least enough voters in the Senate, uh, members in the Senate, are not for that kind of radical overtake of, of voters, uh, of the voter laws. We are speaking with Congressman Chris Jacobs. Congressman, I do have one more question for you. But first, this traffic note, there is an accident on the 190 South by Long Road. It's affecting both directions of travel. The left lanes in both directions of the 190 by Long Road are closed. Alan Harris will have more on that at the top of the hour. But if you are traveling in that direction or on the 190, just in both directions, uh, the 190 left lane closed by Long Road details at the top of the hour. Congressman, we uh, talked about the commission that was proposed 
um, and failed in the Senate. And now it looks like Speaker Pelosi is going to go ahead with her own commission. Now, I know last time you talked about the commission that did fail in Senate, uh, you wanted the commission to see where the speaker may have misstepped. Do you trust the speaker putting a fair commission together? No, not at all. This is this is bad. This is going to be completely partisan. This is going to be classic Nancy Pelosi. Um, it will be most. It will be all politicians that will be on the commission, but it will be also overwhelmingly majority Democrat. Um, it may be that only the Democrats really have the subpoena power. So this is this is what we what I didn't want to see. Um, and they will. Uh, make this a real sideshow. They will drag this out all the way through next year. So it, it you know, is in our the year of the reelection. You know, they they really want to try to find a way to not lose the congressional majority, uh, and uh, they think this is the way to do it. Uh, so I, I think this is very bad. I, I think it's going to be very partisan, uh, and and frankly, that is why I I, I voted in support of. The commission, which was going to be five Republicans, five Democrats, not uh, not politicians, and we would really have had uh, a say in who would be subpoenaed and have some control. Uh, this is this was the alternative that I I worried so much about, and now it's going to happen. So uh, we need to be vocal on it. Uh, we need to call what what it is. It's just political. Uh, it's just a sideshow, and it's really. Uh, their effort to divert the attention away from the bad policies that they have instituted over the last number of months, which are starting to undermine the economy, which are driving gas prices up, which are causing inflation, uh, which are weakening our stance internationally. Uh, They want to have the sideshow so people don't pay attention to the real significant things that are happening, uh, not for the benefit of future generations in this nation. Congressman Chris Jacobs, I thank you for joining me this Sunday morning. Thank you. That is Congressman Chris Jacobs. He is in the New York 27. And as as he mentioned, he'll be traveling to the southern border with President Trump this week. And I'm just going to put that out there now. I hope he comes back on the show next week to tell us about that trip with President Trump. When we come back, we're talking with Dave Leventhal. A lot happened this week. You heard us talk about it with Professor Nyheisel. You heard us talk about it with Congressman Chris Jacobs. We are going to get the view from D.C., with Dave Leventhal. And then at 11.30, we are talking with Jim Torma of the regional coordinator of the Western Ontario People's Party of Canada. He was on the Canadian side of the Rainbow Bridge protest that we saw yesterday. And we will ask him the view from Canada. You know, we've talked, now we have had Uh, People on both sides of the border, but we've heard perspectives here from the New York side. Um, We've heard perspectives of people that own property in Canada, but we're going to hear perspective now from someone in Ontario, like I said, was at that protest yesterday. We will see how things are going. One hour down, one hour to go. It is hardline. And as I always say, if you missed any of the show, make sure you go on WBEN.com or on the Odyssey app to listen on demand. Every segment of this show and every show on WBEN available on the Odyssey app, live local Buffalo when we come back here on Hardline. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.